Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. Today we're at MFGCon 2022. We're talking with Jason Dingus, the president and owner of Quist Machinery. Jason's worked as an apprentice to a master furniture maker before he attended Inside Passage School of Craftsmen. His love of woodworking, building community, and family of his own initially led him to work for Quist Machinery. In 2017, he became the owner. He's very involved within the industry as the WMIA Technology Committee chairperson. And in 2018, he was named one of Woodworking Network's top 40 under 40. Jason graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with a BA in economics. So Jason, thank you for taking time to speak with us today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for letting the Tar Heel in. Yeah. I appreciate it. I'm a, I'm a Wolfpack fan too. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let that work for today. <laughs> <laughs> There's always interesting things in the name, you know, the name Quist Machinery. What's behind it? What's behind it? It's that? a family name. It was uh, started in the 1950s by Frank Quist Sr. in Statesville, right across the I-40 from the Kiwani plant. And one of the first machinery showrooms in the state of North Carolina, first woodworking machinery showroom. And then um, Frank Quist Jr. took over and 1981 and then i took over of 2017 so yeah, yeah i just didn't want to change the name growing up how did you get involved in the woodworking industry i mean is that something you did as a kid or it was a hobby it was something my dad and i shared that was always fun to build a deck together or, you know work on a piece of furniture together or something some project he had going on and then when i was leaving sales and saying i wanted to go become a nurse or a PA or something like that. Dad said, well, why not woodworking? And I said, dad, woodworking is a hobby. That's not a career. And he laughed and he handed me a book by a guy named James Krenoff and the rest is history. Do you remember kind of the first thing you made that you were proud of? There's a couple of decks out there that I, I like going back and having a nice glass of whiskey on. They're good. There's a good couple pieces of furniture I did. My wife has a lap desk that was incredibly difficult. And uh, proud of that, sticking with it over time because it took a long time to make. The type of woodworking that I did and I learned up in Canada was was very, took a lot of patience. You really had to, there's just a lack of compromise and and paying attention to the wood and the grain and the, the tones and the way the, the piece made you feel. And then how the grain and the wood can, can accent that or can ruin it. It was, it's a lot of fun. And now I get to watch my customers do that and and i get to see it happen every day it's a lot of fun yeah so talk about how quiz supports manufacturing i guess through machinery and other things sure i, I love it it's it's kind of like being a problem solver and I, I know that's it's an overused term i'm sure but but there really is what we do we start with what they're going through right now it has a lot to do with what's going on in the labor force 
and what's going on in the supply chain, which we can't do a ton about the supply chain, but we can help with the lack of skilled labor by helping the people you have work like the people you need. And we start with, with the way you're doing it now. And usually the what we like to say is that we don't come up with the ideas. By and large, at least the vast majority of our projects involve ideas that the customers, that our customers have that we just need to help them execute. They can describe the machine. They can describe the process that they want. They can describe the method they want it to happen, but they don't know that it's called a this type of machine and it's called a five axis router and here's the space it takes and here's the electrical requirements and here's the air requirements and here's the training requirements. And, and so we get to help with that execution where to them it's just like, gosh, I wish it could do, wish something could do this. And you go, oh yeah, well that's this machine. And so we help them with that. And then we, the ancillary equipment around that dust collection needs, what are you going to do with the waste? Um, now that you're increasing your production, what are you going to do with the with the parts, the additional parts, the additional inventory, training, and machine upkeep as well? So, you know, got to take care of them. You talked a lot about woodworking. Is that really the, the primary application for the work that you do, and who do well, you serve? We start with machining, plastic, wood, foam, non-ferrous metals like aluminum. We've dabbled in some steel applications but most of it, I'd say out of, let's say we do about 50 projects a year, 50 to, well, 50 to 80 projects a year, depending on the size you count, but 50 large projects a year. I'd say of those 50, somewhere between high 20s to 30s going to be around wood, just because it's North Carolina and, and Virginia and South Carolina, and that's what we got, right? We so got we still wood. make a lot of wood here we in the do. state? We do. We do. Well, we still work a lot of wood. We work a lot of wood. We don't, we yeah. don't make a wood yet. Yeah, we're, not, we're still getting our wood from Pennsylvania and, you know, other states. But we uh, we do have uh, quite a bit. The furniture industry is just incredible here. You know, the cabinet industry has spread out pretty good. The recession did that. But and you still have your local cabinet makers all over the country that people want to use their local friend. But when they buy a sofa... A lot of them are coming from North Carolina. It's interesting because people want to believe we've given all that away. Or no, it's only about 40%. The cabinet industry, and I, I'm, you know, don't hold me to these numbers, but it's pretty close to about 70% of it went away back in the recession when everything, well, not recession, but when everything started to leave. A good percentage of the commodity cabinets, right? Not so much your custom cabinets. And then, but with the furniture industry, it's only about 40% left. So we still left six out of 10, we're still here. And of those four that left, they're still here. They just moved their manufacturing somewhere else. And so a good portion of those, at least at least one out of three, are coming back right now. Oh, so how are they doing that? That's that's very interesting. You hear about reshoring coming back, but how are they coming back? I mean, yeah. what what is that gonna look like? Well, it's 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 a forced it's it's being forced on them almost, um, from you know, when container costs go from six thousand dollars a container to twenty four thousand dollars a container how many sofas can you fit on there and you got to split that number of sofas by by the the additional eighteen thousand um, dollars that's a that's a lot of extra money that's not increasing the value of the sofa it's just increasing the cost right so to them there's there's the patriotic side too wanting to bring it back and hey we were always an american-made company and we got away from it and because we had to and now we want to bring it back we have that too but there's good number of people who are saying it's the right business decision for us to bring it back and and we don't want to do it and throw labor at it you right. know we want to do it in a smart way 
So we have a lot of customers who, who come to us and we've got one right now that I'm thinking of and he's he has no wood shop right now. He does zero woodworking. He takes a components from a supermarket kind of feel. We call it like a market feel where he's got an inventory of parts. His people just go pull parts off the shelf and fill a, a kit or a buggy and that buggy goes to the assemblers, right? And now he's going to go from that to bring in raw wood, bring in plywood, bring in OSB. And fill up and now his we're own gonna, supermarket. Now we're going yeah, to go to just-in-time manufacturing. And we're going to increase our production you know, from 300 frames a day to 1,200 frames a day. Well, so, that's pretty exciting. It is very exciting. Who's going to run those, those fancy new machines? <laughs> It's, it's funny, you know, my dad always used to say, if force doesn't work, use more, you know, and that model just doesn't work anymore. We have, we have to be smarter about it. And, and we also have to make it in a way that if a woman is 62 years old and she's been working for the factory for 28 years, you know, we don't want to lose her and we want, we want her to keep working. We want her to be able to increase her value to the company. So if we can take that same effort that she's putting in or even reduce the effort level, but she's producing 25, 50% more per day just by using smarter equipment, we've increased her value to the company, right? We haven't replaced her with automation. We've made her job easier and more productive to the company. So now she's worth more to the company. And so in combination with that machine, so it's really just being smart. And, and so when we go back now, it's hard to imagine true lights out manufacturing because what happens there is you're you're putting so much reliance on it that you're concerned that if the machine if I, you know i got to take care of it now i have to have my maintenance people and so it, it needs to be sensible it needs to have a combination of the people who need the jobs and your neighbor who needs the job in conjunction with smart and, and, and uh, smart automation you know well so there seems to be a whole new dynamic now in terms of discussions about machinery and automation i mean i think you know both of the challenges that we see is driving us to being smarter about how we make things like the workforce issue and supply chain is that correct oh absolutely absolutely i mean the number of customers who said well i, I hired this consulting company from xyz and they said you got to go to this inventory management system and i sat there six years later and i'm looking at three hundred thousand dollars worth of parts sitting on the shelf and does it allow them to turn around quicker their delivery? Sure. But so does a smarter, better machine that could turn that, that same chair around in the same day. So the idea is that with the modern technology, with data, with we can start to predict. And, yeah, we can do a little bit of inventory, standardized manufacturing. There's some value to having some piece of inventory. But those people sitting there with 300,000 parts on their shelf and can't get a hold of Baltic birch right now because you can't get Baltic birch right now yeah. is uh, are sitting there looking at those parts going, man, I wish that was still a sheet of plywood. I could turn it into what I need to sell rather than what I already made it into. Right. So how does that translate, you know, in terms of, okay, how do I determine how to invest in this, you know, to go from what I am now to where I want to be? Mm -hmm. I mean, does that require a lot of cash or? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, the short answer is, 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 is you're going to get out of it what you put into it, right? But not everybody has a, a half million dollars to go flip it all around right out of the gate, right? So what we have to do is there's, there's two components to that from my side. One is finding the easy baskets that build momentum and pay for themselves quickly, right? And two is that 
the cost is not just in the machinery. There's also the cost in the people that are on my floor. So we have found that it can get projects can get pretty expensive if we don't make sure we have buy-in from the sea level people. Obviously, we need that or no checks getting cut, right? But also the people on the floor who are going to be running the machine. If you don't have that buy-in, that project just got really, really expensive because now we're having to come back every every month and retrain a new person or we're having to come back every month and just train that same person because they weren't listening the first time. So we, we've we learned the hard way and, and through experience that, that those hidden costs can get really expensive. So what we do is like Huntington House is a great furniture manufacturer here in North Carolina. They're just north of Hickory, a little town called Bethlehem. Um, Family-owned company, really cool story to that. Uh, three fathers are transferring ownership over right now to three sons, which is incredible, right? If you think yeah, about it doesn't, that. doesn't really happen. No, it does not. It does not. They're great, great company, great guys, and great company to work with. And they showed up at a, at a trade show similar to this, and we had some machinery. And they said, Jason, we're ready. We're finally ready. I've been working with them for a couple of years. They said, we're ready to buy a CNC router. And I was like, oh, really? So tell me what's going on. And they told me, I said, you're not ready. And they said, they said, what do you mean? We came with a, a pocketbook ready to buy this, you know, basically a check ready to buy a machine. And I was like, but you're not ready for it. Because they were ready to pay for the machine, but they weren't ready to pay for the stuff that it was going to take to get the buy-in on the right. floor level. And they and so because I was listening to where they were and what was going on, I said, come with me. So we went and looked at another machine. It's an optimized chop saw. Basically takes a, let's say you're working with 12 foot long lumber and you have parts that range from 22 inches long to 36 inches long of varying 20 different lengths of wood. Right. And so, you know, arm rails and things like that, stretchers. And it takes that length of wood. You mark out the defect and it takes what's left, what's usable, and optimizes it into the best value for that 12-foot-long board of wood. And it's made up in Poughkeepsie, New York, great company called James L. Taylor. And they, they they saw it, and they were like, they didn't even know that existed. And it cost 90 at the time. I think their machine ended up costing about $85,000, $90,000, something like that, and which was half of what they were, a third of what they were planning on spending on the router, on the CNC router they were talking about. And they took that, they, they bought that machine instead, and then they their ownership loved it. They started digitizing everything. It, it forced them to start to digitize, right? Forced them to get smart about it. They came back to me and said, okay, Jason, now we're ready. And I was like, now you're ready. Let's do this. Yeah. So, and I, I see the passion in your discussion there, and, it, and it's, it's exciting. Uh, you know, we try to do the same thing when we're talking to companies. And I, I, I recall when I was working more out in the field, people would come in and they would ask us to come and do something for them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you have to tell them no. I mean, it, it's like, you, you want this, but no, that's not what you right. want. That's right. Oh, I hear it in your voice. I listen to your podcast and I hear your passion and uh, your love for what you do. And it's something I really enjoy. I look forward to your podcast. So thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, we when we do our work, I mean, that's really one of the things that we're trying to project for ourselves. You know, we're just not interested in making sure you go buy something. It's like, let's make sure you're doing the right thing. That's right. Because that's what makes our North Carolina companies really more successful when they're getting the right kind of advice. Oh, yeah. But pre-COVID numbers for us between 52 and 58% of our sales came from current customers. People who'd worked with us before and were like, hey, what's next? Right. And we were always proud of that number. I'd like to see a little bit more new customers, but that's okay. I like the fact that we have the repeat business. Um, during COVID, that number jumped through the roof. I mean, it was because people weren't letting you in if they didn't know you, right? 
Um, so they weren't letting our current customers weren't letting our competition in and, and the other people who we didn't know weren't letting us in. So, but those numbers went up to about 80% in 2020, 78, and they were 62% in 2021. And um, now they're coming back to more normal numbers. We're so proud of that. And I, I love the fact that I get to know these people and we have a, a line we use a lot, which is, you know, we don't grow unless you do. You grow, we grow. And it's got to happen in that order. You know, let they let their customers growth bring them into the need for the machine. We let our customers need for the machine help us grow our company. So it's a, it's very cyclical and, and it's great. I, I can't tell you how good it feels to, to work with your neighbors. You know, it's just a lot of fun. Well, we're excited to see your passion, and we're always excited to see you at the conference. It's great being here. And we've been missing it for the last couple of years. I've missed it so much. I love the – It's. I just keep smiling all day. I keep seeing people I haven't seen in three years, and it's so much fun. Thanks. Well, thank you for taking time to to chat with me a little bit, Jason. Thank you, Phil. We'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.